All right. As you all know, the last couple of sermons that we have done have been focusing on the books of First and Second Thessalonians. I hope you enjoyed that as we talked about the return. And um, we're going to do a little shift change here. We're doing what I'm calling a a culture series or a culture sermon. Every now and then, I love to do something on a topic that should embody part of our culture here at Living Stones. I want you all to help me out. I'm taking a risk here because anytime you turn it open to the congregation, Jay, make sure you don't screw this up. You have a good answer is what I'm trying to say. All right. If I said, when you describe the culture at Living Stones, we're a culture of, or if I said, we like, fill in the blanks for me. Amra, we're a culture of love. I mean, you know, that should be the case. All right. When you come here, in fact, if you're a guest this morning and you have not been had your hand shaked or been hugged by somebody and you have not felt welcome, come see me because we have failed you, all right? I'm serious. We, When you come here and you're brand new, we want, not just when you're brand new, but when you come here, we want you to be loved. Can everybody agree to that? We want to have a culture of love. What else do you think we should be pursuing? Joe. <laughs> That's also, by the way, a challenge when you actually call people by name and put them on the spot. What else are we about? Mercy. That's a good one. How many of you know if you're here, come here, you don't have to be perfect. You can come as you are, and we won't hit you with a Bible or anything like that. We will have mercy on you. We love you. We'll demonstrate the mercy of Jesus. How about a culture of faith? Anybody want to believe God for great things? How about a culture that loves the nations of the world? How about a culture that loves marriages and family? You get the idea. These are certain things that we, are, they're not aspirational values because we're not just talking about them, but we want to actually be this way. So what I'm going to talk about now in this series of creating culture is creating a culture of generosity. How many of you know a generous person is a person, by the way, as we're going to see this morning, who is incredibly blessed. Does anybody want to be blessed? Generous people are blessed people. And generosity, of course, why would that be part of a kingdom culture? Because how many of you know God Almighty is the source of all generosity? Anybody born again in here? Anybody give their life to Christ? You and I have been the recipients of the most incredible gift and the most incredible generosity that the world has ever experienced. It comes right from the heart of God. In fact, the Bible says every good and perfect gift comes from. So God is the ultimate giver. And if we want to be like God, anybody want to be like God? If you want to go to heaven someday, you should strive to be like God so you don't stick out like a sore thumb, all right? That's, that's, that's a little advice from your pastor, all right? If you want to be like God, you've got to develop, we've got to develop a spirit of generosity. Now, let me just share with you that my goal this morning uh, is I'm not preaching this sermon like it's out of a reaction, all right? So let me just say a few things right up front. You know, pastor's preaching on generosity. What's he, what's he got up his sleeve? First of all, thanks to your generosity and faithfulness, the church is doing great, all right, financially. We're, we're not in debt. There's air conditioning on this morning. Hallelujah. <laughs> Toilet paper and all the bathrooms. The carpets were clean. I mean, you know, we're doing okay, all right? Here's another good news. God's kingdom is not under financial doom and collapse. God is doing all right. Can we give the Lord a hand, all right? He is cool. Everything's good. All right, I got to say this. This is not a correctional message, which means you're doing all right. Give yourselves a hand. Thank you for your generosity. 
pastor's not mad and he's going to nail us because, you know, we're not giving or we're not generous enough. No, that's not the case. I'm not addressing a problem this morning. Actually, here's what I'm doing. I'm wanting to create, I'm wanting to whet your appetite. I'm wanting to create a picture in our minds to where we're all participating in a supernatural culture of giving and generosity that's not only transforming us, but it's transforming people that come into this culture. I mean, you know, it was said of Israel under covenant with God that there was not a person in the community with lack because of the way God's kingdom economy operated. In the early church, among the believers, nobody went without. It doesn't mean people didn't have needs at times, but nobody went without because together there was a supernatural release of kingdom uh, transforming generosity that was more than enough. How many think it's just common sense that if we're living in the kingdom of a God who has everything, that lack should not be part of what we're used to or what we walk in? Does this make sense? In other words, that there's something about God's people gathered together where if one of us is missing something, somebody else, I'm sure, probably in your row has what you need. And so there's this picture of God always supplying what his people need to get the job done. Now, I want to talk to you this morning about, in fact, the the title this morning is The Ground Rules of Generosity. And I want to give you three incredibly simple but profound ground rules, pillars for us to kind of launch this series. And I'm just calling them The Ground Rules of Generosity. Point number one, if you're taking some notes, I encourage you to do so. Point number one is your money matters to God. Money matters to God. Now, here's what we do in our culture today. A lot of us think of money as something carnal or something dirty or something just necessary to get by. We don't put money in the same category as like communion. In fact, you notice some of you are waiting. Hey, what, I thought we were going to do the offering. No, we're going to save the offering till the end today. Because how many of you know sometimes it's good to hear the word and be inspired by the word and then act on the words. That makes sense. But but here's what we think. We think we think the offering time is like less spiritual than the communion time or praying for people's bodies to be healed or the preaching of the word. But I'm going to show you something. God doesn't view money that way at all. And if I asked you this morning, where do you go to get wisdom on money? You'll probably say things like Fortune Magazine, Forbes Magazine, uh, Wall Street Journal. But most of you would not say, well, I go to the Bible for wisdom on money. Because we don't tend to think that God's all that concerned with money. But check this out. This is amazing. When you look at the scriptures and you look at Bible verses dealing with certain topics, we've got over 2,300, in fact, around 2,350 different passages in this Bible that talk about money. Now, that's twice as many verses as talk about prayer and faith combined. Think about this for a minute. If you took every verse on prayer and every verse on faith, how many think faith and prayer are important topics? If you took every verse on faith, every verse on prayer, combined them together, you still wouldn't, that still wouldn't add up to all the verses in the Bible where God himself is talking about money and possessions. How many of you think it might be important to God? And then you say, okay, well, that might be God. Well, what, how about Jesus in the New Testament? Is Jesus really focusing on money? Well, as a matter of fact, he does. If you look at all the red letter verses in the Bible, if you got one of those Bibles with a red letter edition where Jesus is talking, it's in red. If you look at all the verses in red and you do a little study on that, about 15% of everything Jesus said had to do with money. Now, let me just give you some dot connecting here. If something is important to God, Should it be important to you? Should it be important to us? 
Is money important to God? Should it be important to us? So why are you already getting offended? I just had to throw that out because you know what's interesting? It's really important to be in touch with what's going on inside of you during a message. Because if you're really agitated, like, oh God, it's another, in fact, if you're new here today and you're like, oh God, he's talking about money. That's all the church ever talks about. No, it's not. It's the first sermon I ever preached on money in the last six years. Will you be quiet? Show up more often and you'll hear a little more balance. All right. I'm trying to help you out. Trying to help you out. If it's important, we need to talk about it. And I'm just telling you, money is really, really important to God. Now let's get to a second lie which is point number two on the ground rules here. Money is a spiritual matter. I've heard of people say stuff like this. Well, pastor, you know, I've not been all that good in giving and, you know, tithing and offering and all that, but God knows my heart. Oh, does God know your heart? (laughs) What we're trying to see happen is that you get a little bit in touch with your heart. Because isn't it interesting to say, well, you know, but I just serve in a lot of other ways. Well, great. I'm glad that you do. Praise the Lord. Not minimizing. I mean, you know, we, we give in a lot of other ways besides re- our, our financial resources. We give our time. We give our love. We give our gifts. I mean, I get it. But some people like to kind of conveniently carve out that generosity with resources, with money. And they put it under the banner of, well, God understands. Listen to me. If God's not broke... And he gives us specific instructions on giving. It's not because he needs it. It must be because. So there's something incredible, incredibly spiritual about what you do with your resources. And if you just put it in the compartment of stuff that's not that important, God's concerned more with the heart. God's concerned more with spiritual things. God's concerned more. No, God isn't. We just established that. God really cares about money because, hear me, money is spiritual. Let me make my case. Richard Halverson, the former chaplain of the U.S. Senate, made this comment. He said, all through Scripture, there's an intimate correlation between the development of a man's character and how he handles his money. Now, those are fighting words for most of you this morning. If I said to you, how you spend your money is a revelation of your character, you'd take it personal. How dare you question my character? Am I right? You'd be like... But how we spend our money reveals our priorities. How we spend our money reveals what we really value. And is not money a direct reflection of one's character in many ways? I believe that it is. John Wesley said this. He said there are three conversions necessary when one becomes a Christian. Three things that have to be converted. The first conversion is the heart. The second conversion is the mind. And the third conversion is the purse or the pocketbook or the wallet. And Wesley said, it may be that we find that the conversion of the purse is the most difficult. Can anybody say amen? It's amazing how many people, I just love the Lord with all my heart. But do you love him with your wallet? Well, no, not with that. But I love him with all my heart. Well, your heart is an extension. Your wallet's an extension of your heart. And sometimes we don't make those connections. In fact, let's, let's go to the Bible for some little proof here. 
Y'all remember the account of the rich young ruler. We read about this in Matthew chapter 19. And I won't read the whole account, but I will read one verse. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he's, he's the man. He's the perfect disciple. He's, he's the true follower of Jesus. He's kept all the law and the commandments of God, right? He was waiting for Jesus to give him a hug and say, I've never met anybody so much like me as you, but that never happened. Cause Jesus started messing with the guy's idol. Has Jesus ever done that to you? He cuts right through all the fluff and he pushes on your idol button. And look at what Jesus says. Hey, this is awesome. Rich young ruler, way to go. If you want to be perfect, complete, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come follow me. Jesus was saying, look, all this stuff's going to burn up anyway. Take what you have, sell it all. Let's bless and invest in kingdom things that's going to be sent ahead of you and follow me. I'm going to give you the greatest invitation in the world. And the guy stood there and grief came over him. He started He started thinking, oh my goodness, are you kidding me? I cannot believe you're asking that of me. And the Bible says that he turned and he went away sad. And then Jesus used that account to talk about riches and wealth. And we all know that there's nothing wrong about being blessed. We're going to get into that in just a minute. But Jesus said this, it's really, really hard for people who are blessed materially with great wealth. It's really hard for them to get into the kingdom Why? Because it's a matter of what you love. How many of you know there's two problems that our nation is facing today? Idolatry and injustice. Idolatry is when we love something more than God. And injustice is when we treat people in ways that are unfair and unkind and wicked. And there's no sense of justice that happens. Those two things create demonic strongholds in a nation that lead to a nation's destruction. We are a nation full of idolatry, are we not? And much of our idolatry is rooted in the dollar. This is why Jesus is so smart. He says, you cannot serve money and me. In other words, you can have money. You can't serve money. You can't make it your idol. You can't live for it. That's the problem. And so we need to have our pocketbooks and our purses converted. Now, the the example of Zacchaeus, or rather of the rich young ruler, I want us to look at at Zacchaeus as another example. And this is in Luke chapter 19. We're just in Matthew 19. This is Luke 19, verses 8 through 10. You all know the story of Zacchaeus. He was hungry for a God encounter. He wanted to see Jesus. He wanted to to encounter this man that he'd heard so much about. Climbed up in the sycamore tree because he was a wee little man. You know the song. And... um, and he, he's looking for Christ, and Jesus stops right there, has a word of knowledge by the power of the Holy Spirit, calls Zacchaeus by name right up in the tree, and invites him to lunch. How I many of you know that is life-transforming in and of itself? And then all the re- religious people are looking down on Jesus like, if you, who are you? You're not holy. You wouldn't eat lunch with that scoundrel. He's a tax collector. He's a greedy, selfish, stingy man. What are you doing, Jesus? Constantly calling into question the character of Christ. And yet this man has one lunch encounter with Jesus. And look at what happens. I want you to see the connection here that money is spiritual. It says in in Luke 19, verse 8, But Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now. Everybody say here and now. I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, that's a rhetorical statement because he knew he was a cheat and a thief. He says, I will pay back four times the amount. Now, how did Jesus respond to all that? Jesus didn't say, great job, but your money doesn't really matter. It's really all about your heart. That's not what Jesus said. 
Jesus said this, check it out. Today, today, right now, salvation has come to this house. How did Jesus know this guy was saved? Not because of what he said, because of what he did. Because of what he did with what? Oh, the dirty, nasty money thing again. Jesus looked at what he did with his stuff to determine what was going on in here. Can I just be honest with you? It's not where you sit on Sunday morning that determines how spiritual you are. It's not how much you read your Bible. It's not how much you pray. It's not how much you profess. Can I just be real with you? One standard of, 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 of how spiritual you are is the level of generosity that flows out of your life. Because when a man or woman is truly converted, they become like the one who converted them. And let me just tell you this, the one who converts you is rich in mercy and grace and forgiveness and gifts that he distributes. His name is Jesus. In fact, the entire Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all generous to the max, are they not? And when a man or woman gets saved, you become like the one who saved you. I love the way Randy Alcorn says it. He says, grace precedes generosity. In the same way, he says, as thunder follows lightning, giving follows grace. As thunder follows lightning, giving follows grace. You know, in our backyard, we had some amazing firework displays going off. And the ones that my wife absolutely hates are those sneak attack fireworks where they go up with very little fanfare. There's just a little, and you know, oh my gosh, something just got lit. But you can't see it. There's no color. And those are the kind that don't go off for color. They go off for volume, for sound. And all of a sudden you're looking and you see this tiny little spark. And then light flash. But you don't hear anything yet because the light, right, precedes the thunder. And then what comes after that flash, just a little millisecond after, kaboom! And everybody shakes and my wife, oh, I hate those every time. All right, she does not like that, that at all. I love, all the guys are like, yeah! I mean, you know, we're like feeling our faces wiggling, yeah! All right, do it again, do it again! Marion's like, oh! She'd rather see the Listen, when lightning happens in your heart, when Jay encounters Jesus and it's real, lightning in your heart, what follows is thunder in your generosity because it's impossible for a saved person to be a stingy person. It's impossible for a saved person to be a person who is a grabber and a clutcher and living tight and doesn't have any grace for people, mercy for people, love for people, time for people, or money for people. I mean, you know, we are all born self-centered to the max, greedy to the max. We look out for ourselves, and our money is the primary means that we take care of ourselves. That's why money is one of the biggest problems in marriage. That's what couples fight over the most, because if they're not saved and Jesus is in the middle, there's two selfish people fighting over paychecks for their own happiness. You bought a boat, but you wouldn't buy me a couch. Yeah, that is gross, is it not? 
That is disgusting. Two selfish people fighting over stuff because they've not been converted. When you're converted, you start off, you're all in on yourself, you're staring at your navel, you're the center of your world, and you're all tight-fisted, and then you get born again and something like this happens. Isn't that the truth? It's not all about me. I can be, oh, there's other people in the world. Other people worse off than me. Well, I don't have enough. Oh, but I have more than them. Oh, what should I do with that? Maybe I was supposed to bless somebody. Maybe I'm supposed to help somebody. Maybe I'm supposed to be wide-armed toward need. Which is why, isn't that great this morning? Man, you talk about awesome. We, we talked about loving kids in the foster system that need a mom and a dad in a healthy home. We talked about doing a 5K run to help guys that are trying to get back on their feet and raise some money there. We got to grab and go afterwards. My goodness, we're going to eat. Some of you are sitting out there, man, this church, my gosh, 5K run. There 25 bucks for a hat. They cost us 20. Be quiet. All right. So anyway, the point is this. If all these things irritate you, if we say give and you look at this thing and go, oh man, grab and go, grab, 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 grab. All you got is the grab part, not the go part. Then you might have a stronghold. Because listen to me, last time I checked, nobody has a gun around here pointing it to your head during offering. Dude, cough it up. This is about grace. This is about generosity. This is about happy hearts. And by the time I get to point three, I hope I'm going to have you convinced that that's the pathway to your blessing and to the blessing of the church and to the blessing of God's agenda. So let's be like Zacchaeus and not like the rich young ruler. Grace precedes generosity, which is why I want you to see this. When we are taking communion, what an incredible opportunity to remember the broken body and shed blood of Jesus. But when we are passing the plate, what an incredible opportunity to put into practice the promises of God and listen, to use our resources as tools to bring us God's, to bring God's agenda to pass and listen, to bring you into relationship with a dad who wants to know you. This is what's amazing to me. If God has no need, and, and he's asking us to do something uh, that stretches us. In fact, I was talking to Chase last Sunday. I love what you had to say. Chase comes up to me and says, Pastor, go ahead, stand up. Chase. I want you, here's a young man getting ready to be married, just out of school. You're not rolling in the cash, right? Okay. But this, he came up to me last Sunday. They're going to get married during the next year. It's exciting times. Um, and he said, Pastor, every time I come to this church, God speaks to me during the service, during worship, whatever. And he's always telling me to invest in this or invest or bless that person. And he says, I always come with my wallet full and I always leave with my wallet empty. And, and he was smiling. Because nobody told him to do that. You were participating as a young person in God's kingdom economy. And I just got to say this. For all of us folks in here that are either newlyweds, or you're in that millennial crowd. And let me just say this. Statistically, the millennials in giving are pathetic. They give next to nothing. I'm not picking on millennials. I'm just telling you that's what, the, that's what your generation's track record is thus far. How many of you know if you want to walk in the blessing of God, one of the best things you can do is what you've been doing. You're, you're a generous man. Hey, it's great to marry, by the way, a generous man. 
not a stingy man. So ladies, if you're looking for, ma- for husband material and the guy's as tight, tight-fisted as can be, run. <laughs> you're going to get your hair done? No! You're going to go buy new clothes? No! Run! Because generosity is a kingdom principle. And for those of you that are still single, you're like, Pastor, you know, man, I, I just work at such such job. I make $8 an hour. Praise God. What are you doing with the $8 to be generous? Because if, you, if God can trust you with $8, he can trust you with $80 an hour or $800 an hour. Two groups of people in America. You can sit down, brother. Great job. Just had to brag on you for a minute. Two groups of people. Two groups of people in America that are the biggest liars. Now I have your attention. (laughs) The one group are the wealthy who try to tell you that they're generous. But have you ever looked at, for instance, the wealthy politicians giving records? They have to report them, right, for all of us to see. And you see somebody making over a million dollars a year, and they gave 200 bucks to charity. (laughs) Wow, are you kidding me? So we have people on one end of the continuum that think they're so generous for giving nothing. And let me get, now I'm going to really mess with you because this is the group we can probably relate to more. Then we have people on the other end of the continuum that say, you know what, when I get that new job, pastor, then I'm going to start giving. <laughs> hey, let me tell you something. If you can't give $1 out of 10, you'll never give $10,000 out of $100,000. If God can't trust you with $1 out of 10, let me tell you something else. Everybody in this room is rich. I'm going to say that again, just so it sinks in. Everybody in this room is rich. Well, pastor, I kind of know what you're saying, but I'm really not rich because I got needs. No, listen. The reason we like to export you is because you make better people when you come back. How many of you drove to church today? You're rich. How many of you have air conditioning? You're rich. You young people that think your mom and dad are keeping you in poverty. How many of you have game systems in your home? Ha, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're rich, kids. Shut up. You're rich. <laughs> How many of you go out to eat at a restaurant, even today, after church? You're rich. Yeah, grab and go. Not today. Not today. You're rich. The point is this. If you've been outside the United States, you realize that we're living in one of the wealthiest nations in the history of the entire history of histories. Now, here's my question. If God asks the poorest Jew under the old covenant and with him, the poorest Jew, he demanded a dollar out of every 10. He demanded it. It was his. It's all his, but he demanded a dollar out of every 10. Why would God have different standards for the wealthiest people in the wealthiest nation in the history of wealthiness? Because Pastor God knows my heart. Yeah, I know he knows your heart. (laughs) He knows you need help. God is not motivated 
by victimhood. God never moves because somebody plays the victim card and says, well, God, if only. God could care less about your victim card. It will get you nowhere. I'm just telling you, it will get you nowhere. Two things move the heart of God. Faith, obedience. What happened with Zacchaeus? Faith came in. He realized in a second he was a scoundrel and he was stingy and he was vile and he was a crook. And one encounter with Jesus, kaboom, everything changed. Right? And then what happened after that? Boom, conversion, blessing, obedience. He obeyed God. He knew that he needed to return what he had stolen from people. See, it doesn't matter how long you go to church. It doesn't matter where you sit, how long you sing in the choir. Listen, the outflow of generosity from your life is one of the truest indicators of who you really are and how beautiful your character is before God. I know this is painful this morning, but we're going to be over in just a second. That's why I'm going to end with point number three. It's the happy point. Just elbow your neighbor and say, this is going to get better. Just tell them that, all right? Number three, God wants you to prosper. Everybody say that with me. God wants me to prosper. Let's say it again. God wants me to prosper. How many of you really believe that? I mean, there's a lot of religious folks out here because, see, we've gone to two different extremes in the church. Some religious folks believe this, that the more poor they are, needy they are, the more humble they are, and the more humble they are, the more like Jesus they are. So if they just stay poor and needy, then they're going to be really like Christ. How many of you know the devil is the one who steals, kills, destroys, keeps people impoverished, keeps them hungry, keeps them starving, keeps them without? I mean, that's the devil's job description. That's not God's job description. God's not glorified through our poverty at all. That's not honoring him. But I want to give the other side of the coin because we've also been exposed to a prosperity message which has much biblical truth in it but gets off track sometimes. How many of you know God wants you to prosper? God wants you to have more than enough. But I like to call it prosperity with a purpose. See, we went through this season where, where people thought that their faith was a tool to use, kind of like a slot lever to use uh, to believe God for more and bigger and better. In fact, the bigger house you had, the more anointed you were. The bigger house you had, the more faith you had. The bit, you know, fancier clothes you are, it was a picture you were in God's kingdom because God's rich and I'm rich. And so we had pastors strutting around like peacocks with all this expensive jewelry and everything because that was a badge of faith and you could have it too. Just write me a check. I mean, you know, that's not, that's not the kingdom. It's a, it's a charlatan. It's a twisting. It's a, it's a prosperity without purpose. Let me give you some balance on this before we end with some worship and give you a chance to share this morning. Take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 11. And I'm going to go through these quickly. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 11. Yes, God says, you will be enriched. Everybody say enriched. In every way. That's incredible. I mean, you know, that's the promise of prosperity right there. You'll be enriched in every way. So that, if you want to circle that in your Bible, so that, the so that is the purpose. What's the purpose for my enrichment? You can always be generous. That's the purpose. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. That's the grand purpose. That's the larger purpose. Check this out with me. God says, I want to enrich you in every way, every dimension of your life. I want you to be enriched so that, why? So that I can be generous. That means there's going to be people I run into and needs that I run into that God's wanting to meet through me. The reason that he enriched me was so that I can bless. 
And notice, though, it doesn't stop there, because if it stopped there, then people would say, oh, that Pastor Ron, what a generous guy. It's not about me, because I'm, you know, I'm just passing it on. So that, the Bible says, they give thanks to God. Can you see why God's glory is at stake in your generosity? If we're not generous, God's not getting glorified. And let me say this, if you're not generous, you'll not be enriched. Because the purpose of God enriching you is so you can bless somebody else and you can be a conduit and not a container with a lid on it. We're supposed to be conduits. Now here's the amazing thing, and I want you to see this. If you and I will exercise the muscle of generosity, meaning this week, find somebody you can invest time, talent, treasure in, somebody you can invest in in a generous way, you will start a cycle. You will start a process of God being able to entrust you with more and more and more. And how many of you have ever been generous and blessed somebody? And how many of you know that the Bible is absolutely true? It is better to give than it is to receive. There is a joy and a satisfaction that comes out of blessing people. Now, let me just give you a couple more verses, then we're going to pray. Look with me, 2 Corinthians 9, go up a couple verses to verse 8. This is the amplified rendering here. God is able to make all grace, isn't that a great promise, all grace, come in abundance to you so that you may always, under all circumstances, regardless of the need, have complete sufficiency in everything. Wow, and have an abundance for every good work and act of charity. This is an off-the-charts promise from God. It's an invitation. He's, he's wetting our appetite to partner with him. He's saying that we would have all that we needed in every kind of situation, and in fact, in abundance. Why, though? He tells us at the end of verse 8, for every good work and every act of charity. Look at Proverbs 22, verse 9. A generous man will himself be blessed, for he shares his food with the poor. If we will share what we have with those in need, God says you will always be blessed. You will always have what you need. Look at Proverbs 11, verse 25. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. Look at Proverbs 11, verse 24. There is one who generously scatters abroad, and yet, check this out, it's a paradox. He increases all the more. And there's another who withholds what is justly due, but it only results in want and poverty. This is crazy. It doesn't make sense. God says that if you will honor him first, if you will be a generous person, if you will sow into kingdom things and water others, you will never go under lack yourself. You will yourself be generous from God's blessing to you, and you will be a waterer of other people. Now, I'm just going to get real with you, okay? Sometimes we get calls from folks, they're, they're turned upside down financially, they're in a bad situation. And any of you ever been there? It's, it's not fun. And let me just say this. Anytime we get a call, we're gracious, we're loving, we're kind, we care. If we can help, we want to help. But I like to tell people we're not into handouts, we're into lift-ups. We're not into handouts, we're into lift-ups. What do we mean by that? It means... You can just throw money at problems, but if there's no change, it's like a big black hole. You're, you'll throw money at that problem till Jesus comes. So this is what I say to, to, to usually I'm talking to, to Ed, because uh, he's, I say, is this person tithe? 
Just so you know, I'm not sitting around looking at tithing records every day. But when it comes to giving out a need, I want to know, is this, is this a person who's sowing? And I'm just going to tell you this, in all my years of pastoring, I don't know that I can remember one situation where the person that was in a terrible, terrible situation was somebody who was faithful to God in their finances. This is what we usually hear. Well, pastor, I can't afford to give. I said, well, what do you mean? We're not talking about giving to me or giving to, we're talking about giving to the Lord. What's his, first of all, and then sowing. So what's going on in your life? Well, I got, I got a mortgage. I got a car payment. I got to feed my kids. I got to this. I got to that. I got to this, whatever. I don't have anything left over. Let me help you. If you keep living that way, you will never have anything left over. I'm going to say it again. You will never have anything left over. You'll never get out of the hole. How do you get out of the hole? You put God at the front of the line. The first check, I'm going to say it again. The first check I write after I get my paycheck, the first check I write is my tithe check. And my tithe check is no longer just 10%. I don't give $127.32. No, stop it. Will you quit being so stingy? Could you like round up a nickel or so? $127.32. Okay, I get it. But, you know, generosity is like, you know, round it up. And then we add to it. Why do we add to it? Because what we've learned over the years, honor God first. Well, God knows my heart. Yes, he does. That's the point. He gives you a chance every time he blesses you. Where did your job come from? Where did your gifts come from? Where did your intelligence come from? Where did your breath come from? Where did the strength to do the job come from? Where did the paycheck come from? I'm just making sure we're on the same page. Are you getting all that stuff from the same source I am? And then every week he gives you a chance to worship him in your giving. And you go, nope, can't afford it. We had a situation with somebody else had big financial needs regarding a health situation. I said, look, you will never be able to get out from under those health bills if you keep robbing God. Ah, oh, but I can serve in other ways. Yes, you can serve in other ways. We're not talking about serving in other ways. We're talking about your money. Get your money saved. What you put in the hands of a supernatural God puts you then in an arena that is supernatural. If you live in a natural God, in a natural arena, and you're looking at your natural bills, you will be stuck in the natural. We don't have to live in the natural. Let me ask you this question. If God is supernatural, and you are natural, and you live in the natural, and you never step out, and you never trust and you never obey, and you never demonstrate faith in God, then how can a supernatural God ever act in a supernatural way if you never let him because you live in the natural? So people say, I just don't know where God is. Let me just, let me just help you get a God encounter. Be generous. You know, God just never speaks. Oh, yeah, he speaks a lot during offering. You just don't listen. Oh, I'm meddling with you all now. Remember, we're going back to premise number one. God wants you to be blessed. Why am I preaching this message? Pastor, are you after something? No. 
Clean conscience before God. Look at my heart. I live right down there. You can come walk in my house. I'm not asking you to give so I can live in a mansion. I just want to assure you it's not going to happen. You got to judge, you got, we got to know our hearts. If I can't be faithful in unrighteous mammon, how can I be faithful with true spiritual things? I asked somebody this morning who came up and they said, well, you know, pastor, do I have to put my money in a tithing envelope? I said, you don't have to do anything. I'm not commanding, you know, this isn't like give and put it in an envelope. We never do stuff like that. Are you kidding? It's between you and the Lord. But let me ask you this question. If you had a lust problem, man, would you be looking for any accountability from guys close in your life to help you stay accountable? In fact, what we tell people is put one of those things on your phone to help you. So you can't access pornography on your phone. In other words, it's a little accountability thing. You don't know what I'm talking about? Or how about this? People show up with marriage problems to marriage class. And uh, what's one of the things Bishop will do? How you doing, Dick, with that anger problem this week? Doing good? All right, good. He had the audacity to ask you publicly about your anger problem. Why? Because he loves you and your marriage. And he wants you to get healed. Isn't it funny that we get to our money? It's like, none of your business. Not putting it in an envelope. Not going to be accountable. You know, I just sent out a letter and a tithing report. Did I not? And I, and I got one too. And you know what I do? I look at it. And you know why I look at it? I want to be faithful. Let me tell you why else. This sounds so selfish. I, your pastor, want to be blessed. I want to be enriched in every way so that I can keep enriching other people. I want God's kingdom to flourish. So you know what that is? It's accountability for those who desire it. Isn't that a good thing? I like accountability. I'm accountable to our pastoral staff. They, they look at my life. They ask me questions. If money is a spiritual issue, don't you think your pastor should be able to talk to you about it? Some of you are still thinking about that. Let me get back to you on that one. It's amazing. The Bible says pastors are here to care for your soul. But when it comes to something like money, we think that that's somehow, get away from me. None of your... I'm just trying to care for your soul this morning. And here's my heart's desire, and I want you to hear this. I want you to prosper. I want you to have more than enough. I want you to have extra. I want you to be have so much extra, you're casting it around like monopoly money. I want God's kingdom work here to flourish. I want us to never have a need. I want you to get out of the hole that you're in and get uplifted. Because here, I'm going to give some of you a radical challenge, and I'm going to shut up right here. Someone make the little phone thing go off so I use it as a cue from heaven that uh, I'm done. Here's the challenge. If you're in a major financial hole, here's what I'm telling you to do. Start being faithful to God now. I'm going to work my way. No, now. I don't know how it's all going to work out. Now. It's God's job to make it work out. It's your job to obey. Is it okay before we end service today that your pastor prays that you are blessed in your job? That you get raises? That you get promoted? That if you're in sales, that God blows your sales chart off this month? That if you've invested, that whatever stocks you invested in, they go crazy? That your rich uncle who passed away, you didn't know, but he had you in the will? I'll tell you one of the most amazing things. I'm shutting with this. I probably, this is my fourth closing. I only get four. 
We got a call from, from an unlikely source one time. And she said, Pastor, I just got a settlement. And I'm not sure what I should do financially before the Lord. Help me out. I know I'm supposed to tithe. Help me out. Most unlikely person possible in my mind. I'm looking at this person. I'm thinking, this is not a person of means. I said, yeah, come on in. What's, what's the settlement? What's going on? She shared the settlement. My eyes got sl- slightly larger. You got a settlement? And this is what the beauty of it. She knew that that blessing came from the Lord and that a tenth of it belonged to him. And she says, who do I make the check out to? And that was at a time, hear me, that was at a time in this ministry when things were tight, when the economy was bad, when we were believing. Remember when we were believing for that roof? I'm telling you, God will be there for you in your toughest time when life hits. You will find ravens bringing you in food that you knew not of because you were living in the supernatural. You're a faithful person. You honor God. You believe that it's his. You honor him. You're generous to others. And God says, hear me, this is not my opinion. Who could care less about my opinion? God's opinion is this. You'll never go a lack. If you water others, I will water you. And you will always have not just enough for you, but enough to bless other people and to bless my kingdom agenda. And as you keep it going, I will keep it coming because I can trust you to be a conduit of my time and my talent and my treasure. Anybody want in on that? 